worship you today, and we thank you for your word. And we ask now, Heavenly Father, that you would teach us, and you would guide us, and you would make us very, very strong in our faith. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, I was thinking about landscaping. I'm going to be doing a few little, you know, it's the time to start mowing your lawn and getting, the, getting things just so. And for some reason, I was looking through pictures of immaculate English gardens. I always thought it would be nice to have a yard that looked like one of those English gardens, not realizing the incredible amount of work that it takes to keep a yard looking quite like that, like something out of Masterpiece Theater Downton Abbey or any of those shows that you might want to watch. And I came across this story, for lack of a better term, a little thing in a magazine, about this woman who had one of these immaculately crafted English gardens. And I remember the first thought that came to my mind. I thought, well, anybody could have a garden like that if they have a house full of servants to, to take care of it. And then as I kept reading, I realized, oh, well, okay, foot and mouth. Well, I was just talking to myself, but she had done it all herself. She had planned it, planted it, if that's what you do with gardens and shrubs, and then tended it. And this looked like a golf course. It was just one of those perfect things. If you get your garden into a magazine, I forget the magazine exactly, you know you've done a good job. They're not going to just come and take a picture of some scrub grass if they want the magazine to look pretty. She took care of that garden. She started the garden. She had the soil, and she did it. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about God's plan, his eternal decree, that God from all eternity has planned out literally everything that has occurred, is occurring, and will ever occur, down to the absolute minutest detail. That woman may have decided roses will be there, and that flower will be there, this type of shrub will look good, I'll put up this little water fountain statue here. And that's impressive. When we, when we go by and we see someone who's done that, or any type of project, a fine architecture project, you know, some of us might go by and say, wow, that's, that's put together well. Everything, the engineers put everything together in the proper place. And when we think about God, what he's done, and creation, it should cause us to literally just zip our mouths and marvel at what he's done. For if we can, and there's nothing wrong with admiring the works of, of other persons. Stained glass windows. This is a handmade pulpit. Somebody made it. It's an imitation of God in a way. They're creating something. They're constructing something. But God created everything out of nothing. Simply by the word of his power. In the space of six days and all very good. That is nothing short of astonishing. And what we have to realize is that God's plan even though it's from eternity, it plays itself out. Actually, that's a misphrase. He works it out through the works of creation and providence. God reveals his plan for the universe in creation and providence because without creation and without God creating the universe and without him providing for that creation, there would be no plan because God is perfect. He wouldn't need a plan. Just be for all eternity. We don't know why God decided to create. We only know that he did. And we know that he did because we're here right now. Every detail of your life, even our stumblings and our stammerings, 
is part and parcel of God's plan. Now, God is not the author of sin. He's not. He has ordained it. He has decreed it. But he doesn't sin. We sin. We willingly do it for no reason other than two things. Well, three. Maybe we're ignorant at a particular time. We didn't know something was a sin. Two, it's a habit. We've just been doing it for a long time and we're struggling with it. And three, we enjoy it while we're doing it. Those are the three reasons why people sin. There might be a fourth, just outright rebellion and hatred of God. But certainly that wouldn't apply to anyone here in this room, I would hope. When we sin, we feel terrible about it and we confess our sin. There are, believe it or not, people out there who willingly violate God's law just as a way of thumbing their nose at the creator of the universe. Outside of the fact that that is dangerous and silly, I don't know why they would want to do that. Now, when we think of God's work of creation, he is he's like an executor. He's an executor in the proper sense of the term. When we think of somebody being the chief executive of a large corporation like General Motors or U.S. Steel in its glory days, what do we think of them doing? Are they actually in the mill? Maybe. And if the CEO of U.S. Steel in its glory days were to all of a sudden come down from his office and start cruising through the mill, I'm fairly certain that the employees would shape up pretty quickly. When the boss is walking around, you have the tendency to pay very careful attention to your work and try and do a better job. Correct? If you're rational. The boss is right there. Let's tidy up as quick as we possibly can. An executive makes decisions. Now, the analogy is going to break down a bit because a chief executive usually has a board that he has to answer to. Recently, the session uh, interviewed um, three children for communion. And the answers were kind of humorous. I asked him, I said, you know, do you have any idea? You know why I'm here. I'm the pastor. Do you have any idea why Mr. Anderson is here? And I forget which one of them. I forget. I said, well, he's like the head honcho, right? And I said, and Jeff got a kick out of that. And I said, well, his family's been here a lot longer. But I says, technically speaking, Mr. Mowry would be the head honcho of the session because he's the clerk of the session. I said, nobody's a head honcho. All of the elders are absolutely equal. Absolutely equal. Now, one vote, plurality of elders. With God, there is a plurality within the Godhead. But he doesn't answer to a board. He doesn't answer to a board. He has created the universe. He is sovereign over the universe by, by his office as creator. He created everything out of nothing. Have you ever thought of that? Even for a moment. Even a beautiful spring day like this. Or if you would prefer, a beautiful winter's day where the snow has fallen freshly on the trees and it's about 25 degrees. Maybe you like it hotter. Maybe you like it when it's like 95 or 100. It's blistering hot. Out of nothing. And we look at this world and it's amazing, isn't it? It really is. And it's under the curse. It's fallen. We can't begin to even imagine what the new heavens and the new earth are going to look like. If you think the Grand Canyon is beautiful now, or a picture of Mount Everest, or even just the countryside of western Pennsylvania, we have no idea, no conception of what it will look like 
when God recreates everything by power of fire. I have no idea. All I know is it's going to look better than it does now, and there will be no sin. That's part of God's plan as well. Now, we don't know exactly, we don't know, have any idea really why God ordained that sin and evil would enter into the world. But we have to be honest and say, yes, that is part of his plan. We have to. Because there's only two choices here, and it's important for us to think. And Presbyterians are known for thinking. Sin and evil are either outside of God's control or they are under his control. Those are the only two logical options. If sin and evil are outside of God's control, listen to me very carefully. You live in a very, very scary and unsure universe. You live in a universe where God is not all-powerful, where people can thwart his will, where people can do what they want and get away with it. And if you think the world is terrifying now, with his sovereign rule, imagine if he couldn't control everything. We'd have no idea what the future was going to be looked like. I can promise you that the new heavens and the new earth will be beautiful and grand and perfect because God said it and because God is sovereign. If God was not sovereign, I could, we couldn't say anything because we'd never know what was out of, outside of his control. This calls for faith. This calls for faith. We have to make two assertions and then leave them at that one. God ordains sin and evil. They are part of his plan. End of story. Two, I believe that he is a good God. I believe that he is a good God. And that everything will work out in the end. And then when we leave it at that, to try and explain it is a fruitless, it's a zero-sum game because he doesn't try to explain it. And if he doesn't try to explain it, then we cannot even begin to try. We're, we're outmanned. We're way, way out of our depth. We have to just make those two seemingly contradictory assertions and say, I trust God. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the book of Hebrews tells us. The conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. Now, when we say that God is the great executive of the universe, because he's the eternal creator... The Westminster Catechism tells us that God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. He's made this plan and he executes it. You can think of it as a difference between strategy and tactics. A lot of people kind of misuse the term. Strategy is, basically speaking, the overarching goal. We want to corner the market on widgets. That's the strategy. Now, what are the tactics going to be to do that? We will crush our competition by, by undercutting prices and lowering costs. So those would be tactics. We want to take that. We want to win the war. Okay, we want to win the war. What are the tactics? First we take that hill, and then we take that next front. Those are tactics. One is the overarching plan. The other is the execution of the means to implementing the plan. And that's what creation is. Creation and providence are where God reveals himself and all of his power. And when we marvel at God's creation, Revelation 4.11, listen to this. I'll do it in King James. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We have to realize that 
God is not here for our pleasure? A lot of people think that. That's the root of a lot of folks' problems. They actually think that God is supposed to wait on them, hand and foot. That's not the case. It's rather the opposite. We're his creatures. We are his servants. We have been created for his pleasure. And he derives pleasure when we obey him. And you know what's wonderful about that? Is that our lives are more pleasurable when we obey him. We might sin and enjoy it because the scriptures tell us sin is pleasurable for a season. But if you're a Christian, sin will not be pleasurable for very long. That Holy Spirit's going to convict you. He's going to burn in you and he's going to sear your conscience until you say, all right, enough is enough. I'm coming home, Father. Been away for 10 minutes. Been away for an hour. Been away all day. I'm coming home. We are here because God is pleased to have us here. And those of us, those of us who are in our particular historical situation, 21st century Americans, we should thank God every moment of every day. Because He could have been pleased to allow your historical situations to be far less pleasant than they are. We all have our problems, we all have trouble trusting God. But we have good lives. We live in a free society. We have freedom of religion. We have material possessions, the likes of which are amazing. And that calls for a great gratitude and humility. There are many poor Christians in the world. In Hungary, India, China. He loves them just as much as he loves us. And for reasons that he hasn't disclosed, he's blessed us with plenty and freedom. And he wants us to use those things for his glory and not for our own selfish pleasures. Because we live to please him. Hebrews 11.3 Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Science is fine. Science is a wonderful endeavor. And it helps us to understand God's universe more. But science can only go so far. Because science, by definition, has to deal with things that are seen. Or, hypothetically, what they hope they might see in the future. Faith, however, deals with what is unseen. Has any of you ever seen the risen Lord Christ in the flesh? No. Do you believe he is there? Yes. That's not science. That's faith. And it won't be science in the new heavens and the new either. It'll just be reality. We won't have to experiment and see if it's really him. He'll be right there in all of his glory. When it comes to creation, a step of faith is involved. And frankly, I don't understand how someone can say that God doesn't exist and then point to any physical object and ask, well, where, where did it come from? Who made it? The only answer is, I don't know. Or, if they're really honest, it was always there. 
It was always there. Do you realize that that's the two options you have? The universe was either always here or God, or God has always been here. Now let's just step away from faith just for a minute because believe it or not, your faith should be rational. It should make sense. What actually makes more sense? That a supreme eternal being has always existed or that the physical universe has always existed and somehow all of those molecules and atoms coalesce together so that at some point in time this building just kind of happened. I mean, this is a beautiful building, isn't it? Do you think that it just happened or did somebody plan it? It obviously took a great deal of planning, a great deal of time, a great deal of craftsmanship. To think that a building like this could just arbitrarily, by chance, come together is the same theory that people say when they say there is no God, but we live in a wonderful universe. Really, our Earth is just... It's so good that it's not Venus. Because we couldn't live on Venus. Can't even get close to it. Our Earth is perfectly positioned to the sun and the moon. It just happened. Just just on accident. Just randomly got there. Somehow. Well, if that's the case, then I really don't know what's going to happen in the future. Maybe we'll start moving closer to the sun. Maybe we'll start moving farther away from the sun. Maybe the sun will explode and it really will get cold down here. Or we can say, no, I'm not worried about that at all. God's in control. He put that earth right exactly where he wanted. Perfectly situated. The moon moving. I, don't, I can't even explain how the moon works with the tides. Vice versa. I don't understand that. It's amazing. It just happens to work that way. We can predict when the sun is going to rise with almost absolute precision. And it's just chance. Do you realize that chance doesn't exist? I know it's hot, it's early in spring, but you've got to pay attention here. Chance cannot exist unless you have two things, or at least one thing. All chances is a mathematical possibility. If I take these eyeglasses, these spectacles, and I just toss them, there's a chance that they might land, depending on how hard I throw First pew, second pew, third pew. Might be able to get it up to the fifth pew if I really chucked it real hard. That's chance. But they have to exist. Those pews have to exist. If they don't exist, you can't even make that proposition. So when people say the universe came about by chance, I actually like when people do that because I say, really? Um, do you know, what is chance? And I usually like to talk about dice. You, know, you roll the dice and you have certain chances that certain numbers will come up. But if you, didn't have the, if you didn't have the dice, there would be no chance that anything would occur. You see? To posit that there's no creator and that the universe just happened by chance is brutally illogical and it makes no sense whatsoever. Because without physical things, there is no such thing as chance. Nobody's used that one on me in at least two years I actually kind of look forward to it when they, when they do that one 
Now, because God's this creator, we have to worship him. The full version. When we think of Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That demands that we worship him. A God that powerful, that sovereign, is worthy of our worship. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, and preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Everything God does, does is holy. And then people say, well, what about sin? Hey, I can't, I, can't, I can't reconcile those two things. But God is absolute holiness. God preserves your life and he governs your life just the same way as he governs the solar system, the galaxy, to infinity and beyond. He can just do anything he wants. Have you ever thought of that? Now, that doesn't help us a lot of times when we get a flat tire on the way to a meeting. The air conditioning breaks on the way to a meeting and when we arrive, that happened to me once. I had a a business meeting. I put on a nice suit and tie and New Jersey gets really muggy in August and the air conditioning went out on my car and I got caught in traffic. So by the time I got to the meeting, I looked I looked like as if I had taken three showers. It was just it was just uncomfortable. But God was still preserving and governing in me. It was his plan that I arrived like that. I don't know why. Maybe to teach me some patience. I don't know if I really learned a big lesson that day. I was very young. He's preserving you. He's governing you. You're a parent. He's watching over your children. And then we have to come up with the idea of, hey, bad things happen, right? It's one silly book that came out in the 70s, you know. When bad things happen to good people, uh, actually the adjectives should be swapped. Why do good things happen to bad people? Because we're all sinners. The fact that we have anything, the fact that we believe in Christ should be enough. Because if you exit this world with all the goodies of the world and no faith in Christ, those goodies are not going to help you. If you leave this earth starving and bereft of any material comfort and you have the Christ in your heart, then all those goodies in the world, they won't mean a thing. God is a wonderful provider. He looks after us. And his plan is executed through us. Now we learn these things in hindsight, don't we? We go through something, it's hard, it's painful, and we falter in our faith. And that's what we need to understand, is that we falter in our faith. Every single one of us. It's not easy to believe. It's not easy to believe when things are not going properly. It's not easy to believe when things we've tried to do, and they're godly things that we've tried to do, and God's not blessing them. We've actually done things God's way and for one reason or another he's decided from eternity past that it just ain't going to work out the way you wanted it to. That's hard. That's hard. And this calls for faith to realize that God's providential care is there even if we cannot see it. I can't tell you how many times people Wherever I've been, have asked me, you know, why did God allow this to happen? Why? What's the purpose of this? And that's a, that's a legitimate question. My answer has varied over the years, but now it has become very, very simple. 
I don't know the specific reason, but I can give you the general thing. He wants to draw you closer to himself, and he wants to make you more like his son, Christ. Whatever we go through, we can assert those two things. I don't know if he's trying to teach somebody a lesson in pride or humility. I don't know. I don't have purview to that. But I can tell you this. When we go through anything, good or bad, his purpose is twofold. Draw us to himself and make us reflect the glory of his son. Those are the two things that are always in play. That's what he's trying to do for us. And he will do that through all of your circumstances. Whether you believe it or not, if you're a Christian, he will make you like Christ with or without your cooperation. He will. It will be more fun if we cooperate with him. It will be more pleasant if we cooperate with him. Isn't that a grand goal? That's God's plan for your life. He wants you to reflect Christ, who is the perfect God-man. If I were to ask any of you, is that can you come up with a better plan for your life to become Christ-like? Is there anybody in history that you would rather imitate? If there is, then you really need to have a talk with yourself. Because he is perfect. Did everything perfectly. Wouldn't you like one day where everything you did was perfect? where everything that you planned went perfectly, where everything in your life for 24 solid hours went absolutely perfectly. You know what? I'd settle for eight waking hours. I'd settle for eight waking hours in that state. God is going to get us there. I read a story about a young boy, uh, probably about my age, because I don't think they make them anymore, erector sets. You remember those? those? Those were nice. They were fun. They were fun to play with. And this boy, he decided he was going to improvise. He wasn't going to do it just according to the pattern. So he decided that he was going to construct something that was just out of his own mind. But as he was doing that, he and his father realized that two pieces were missing from the set. Even if he wanted to do the erector set from the pattern, the parts weren't there. He couldn't do it, much less this improvised tactic of his. So the father told him, just be patient. And I will contact the company and I'll make sure that we get those two parts. Now, this is obviously some years back. You know, things didn't happen right away then. They don't really happen right away now. The boy waited and he waited. And finally, those parts arrived and he was able to finish his creation. Maybe you feel as if there's pieces missing in the erector set of your life. Maybe more than two. It happens to all of us. But just as that father promised that he would get those parts for his son, your heavenly father promises that he will provide for your needs. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He will provide for your needs. He will do it because he has promised to do it. And that is cause for great rejoicing. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, help us to not falter in our faith. In Christ's name, amen.